since January the 1st, the Apostle John has been showing us here at Bethel how we can find joy in our walk with God. The second message in this Walking with God series summed it up really good. It said that if we will find joy in our walk with God if we walk by faith in Jesus Christ, if we walk in the righteousness of God, if we walk in love for other people, and if we walk in victory over sin. But that last one, that victory over sin part, man, that can give us fit. Somebody say amen. I mean, we struggle with that. You see, when we sin... We lose our joy. And so that's a problem. But here's what can happen. We can reclaim our fellowship with God. And we can reclaim our joy in our walk with God by confessing our sin to God. That's quite a great, great weapon in our lives. You see, when we call our behavior what God calls our behavior, we are able to change our walk. We're able to cleanse our hearts And the fellowship and the joy that we seek can now be restored. And that's part of walking with God. And so I'm praying today that uh, it's going to bless you. Now last week we found that there's a way to bypass this sin cycle altogether. God wants us to enjoy our relationship with him. But he also wants us to stay in fellowship with him. In a nutshell... The way to do that is obedience to God. We need to find out what God says and then do what God says. And we learned that obedience proves not only our faith in God, but it also proves that we love God. And obedience is also the secret, the secret of our fellowship with God. Now, in that obedience message, we found that the ultimate test of our obedience is loving him by loving others. That's the ultimate test of your obedience, is loving him by loving others. But sadly, many Christians fail that test. They fail that test. How painful it must be for God to watch people who profess to have received the love of God only to turn around and not express that love to other people. Why do they do that? Why do people do that? Could it be that they are long-time believers, but they're acting like spiritual infants? Could it be that they are seen as spiritual adults, but in all actuality... They are just spiritual children. I mean, some people have been Christians for many years, but they still act like babes in Christ. Why is that? Well, the most probable answer is they haven't grown much since they came to Christ. And that's a problem. You see, spiritual growth for the believer should be an ongoing process Throughout our life, throughout your journey on this planet, you should continue to grow in your faith. If we're not changing, if we are not becoming more like Christ, listen, something is wrong. 
If you're not changing and becoming more like Christ, something is wrong. Simply said, our Lord is not pleased with a stagnant, inactive faith. He wants us to grow. And today, the Apostle John repeats the phrase, I write to you or I've written to you six times. Now, normally when the Holy Spirit directs an author to repeat something that often, he's wanting to make absolutely sure that the reader gets it. So if John is repeating this to us this morning, he's wanting to make sure that we all get it. Amen? This is very important stuff. This is life-changing stuff. Because God wants us to understand the importance of spiritual maturity. He wants us to understand how important it is for you and I to be growing spiritually. Now, if you'll turn with me to the book of 1 John, that's on page 1082 in the Bibles in front of you. I'd love for you to follow along with me. I'm going to be in chapter 2, and I'm going to begin in verse 12. John writes to these churches, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his namesake. I write to you, fathers, because you've known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. Now, the way that John addresses this issue of spiritual growth is very unique. It's very unique. He writes to three groups of people, little children, young men, and fathers. But it's clear here that he is talking, he's writing to men and women in the church. So this involves all of us. You see, these three groups are really just three indicators of maturity. So John begins with little children. You see, little children are much like new believers. Let me share with you again that verse 12. I write to you little children because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. And then in verse 13 he says I write to you little children because you have known the Father. Now, in these two verses, the words used for little children in the original Bible language are two different words with two different meanings. One of those meanings for little children... Uh, involves the relationship between a child and his parent. The other meaning for little children involves or refers to a child being trained up, right? A child being trained up to become a successful adult. Now, any new believer, for any new believer, the most overwhelming aspect of what they have received is that now they have a relationship with God because their sins have been forgiven. But it's not just any relationship. It's different. God is our heavenly father. God is also our friend. And the Bible also teaches that God is our daddy. Amen. In fact, in Romans chapter 8, 
Paul writes in verse 15, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. It's so important for us to understand what Abba means there. Abba refers to a father in a very, very intimate way. A very personal way. It's kind of like when you call your father daddy. It's very important. There's a difference between calling him father and calling him daddy. Abba refers to him in that very confiding and trusting way. But God doesn't only want to relate to us as a father. God's design is also for us to relate to him by growing up. He wants us to be trained up. He wants us to reach a level of spiritual maturity. Here's the way Paul said it in 1 Corinthians 13. He said, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man... I put away childish things. In Hebrews chapter 6, the Bible says we ought to leave the discussion of elementary principles of Christ and listen, move on to maturity. God doesn't want you staying idle in your faith. And I am thankful that there are really no limits put on you on your spiritual maturity. There is no limit to your spiritual growth. You will get exactly what you seek. Somebody say amen. You're going to get exactly what you seek in your spiritual growth. But one thing is certain. God doesn't have a desire that any believer would stay a spiritual infant. He wants us to grow up. If you see a professing Christian that is staying a spiritual infant for an extended period of time, listen to me, you know something is wrong. You know something is not right. Now, children have, and new believers have, a unique problem. You see, children are easily deceived. The Bible warns us in several places about how children can be easily misled. How children can be easily spiritually deceived. Just listen in Ephesians chapter 4. In verse 14 Paul writes. We should no longer be children. Tossed to and fro. Carried about by every wind of doctrine. By the trickery of men. And the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love. Here it comes. That we may grow up. God wants us to grow up in our faith. And John continues the same discussion in the same chapter. In uh, chapter 2, verse 18, John says, little children. This is important. It's the last hour. And as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come by which we may know that it is the last hour. They went out from us because they were not of us. For had they been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest 
that none of them was with us. In chapter 3 and verse 7, John said, Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. Here's what John wants us to understand today. He wants you to understand that for the most part, children are sweet. Don't forget, I know your children. Amen? For the most part, children are innocent. But that makes them extremely vulnerable to spiritual attack. The sins of new believers are forgiven. They know God. But listen, they haven't yet been taught how to stand their ground against the enemy. They don't know yet how to walk with God as Christians in this perverse and corrupt generation that we're living in, and that makes them an extremely easy target. We need to be standing up, not only for our own faith, but for marriage, for family, for the gospel, and for the word of God. But man, you better be standing up for kids. They are easy, easy targets. Now, childhood is a wonderful time. To be taught and to be protected by family. But it's also a dangerous time. Because until they are firmly grounded, until they are able to protect themselves, they are vulnerable to spiritual predators. And they're coming to attack your children. So we need to be alert to that. So in many ways, new believers are a lot like little children. But John also speaks about young men. And he makes the relationship between young men and maturing believers. Check it out in verse 13. He says, I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. And then at the end of verse 14, he says, I've written to you, young men, because you are strong. And the word of God abides in you. And you have overcome the wicked one. Now, whenever I think about somebody overcoming something... I think and envision them going to battle against something in order to achieve a specific goal. But I want you to notice something here. These maturing believers, how do they overcome the wicked one? They overcome the wicked one because the word of God abides in them. Because the word of God is in their heart, in their mind, and is dwelling with them richly. You see, most young men, they're physically strong. Most young men, they're full of testosterone. They're ready to take on the whole world. But in the same sense, maturing believers are going to be realizing soon that they're going to face countless battles that need to be waged. Countless battles that need to be fought. Countless battles that need to be won in order for them to get past this step of maturity. They're going to be attacked. Why? Because the flesh wars against the spirit. And the spirit against the flesh. And worldly temptations are everywhere, y'all. So during this stage, while the believer is maturing, what should be the focus? Purity. Purity. Spiritual purity ought to be the focus. You see, the Christian, his life is not only about the forgiveness he's received. For the Christian, the focus is not only about enjoying the fellowship with God. 
The focus also needs to be about overcoming. Overcoming the flesh, overcoming sin, overcoming the world, overcoming Satan. All these things are trying to attack the believer. And how does this overcoming happen? It happens when we put aside the sins of the flesh and we begin to walk in the righteousness of Christ. That's how the overcoming happens. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul wrote to his young student, Timothy, and he said, Timothy, flee youthful lusts, but more importantly, pursue righteousness. Pursue righteousness. Pursue the righteousness of God. But you know, if you talk to many Christians about spiritual warfare, you know what you're going to get? A blank look because they don't have a clue what you're talking about. They don't have a clue, friend, that if they're not experiencing spiritual conflict, there's a problem. If they're not experiencing spiritual warfare in the world they're living in, they may not be a Christian at all. Because if you're not being attacked by the world, if you're not being attacked by the enemy, maybe he's already got you on his side. So we need to be aware, friend, that there will always be conflict in the Christian's life. There will always be conflict between the flesh and the spirit. Spiritual warfare, y'all, it's really a reminder. It's a reminder that we have left spiritual infancy and that we are making progress as we grow in our walk with God. Spiritual warfare is very significant in the life of a maturing believer. Now, no young man in his right mind would ever go into a battle without his sword. And Paul said in Ephesians 6, 17, that our sword is the word of God. And John says that as well. John implies here that no maturing believer worth his salt will ever overcome the wicked one without the word of God dwelling richly in his heart. John uses that word abiding. Without the word of God abiding in that mature believer, he don't have a hope. He don't have a chance against the world or against the wicked one. So how does that happen? How does the word of God abide in me? How does it dwell in me richly? Do, do I get strong by toting my Bible around everywhere I go? Do I abide in the word of God by reading my Bible with Brother Bill on Sunday morning only to ignore it on Monday morning? Of course not. No, we get strong when the word of God saturates who we are. When the word of God begins to saturate our minds and saturate the lives that we live, that's when you start abiding and dwelling in the word of God. You see, the word of God is our source of strength. The Word of God is the secret to purity. The Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. The Word of God is what shows us what's right, what's not right, how to get right, and how to stay right. It's the Word of God. And when you look at Jesus himself, when he was in the wilderness of life, what was his go-to when temptation came his way? What was, the, what was his go-to when, when the devil came a-knocking? What did he say? It is written. In other words, what does God say about this matter? What does God say about that issue? 
We ought to follow in Jesus' footsteps. Because every single believer in this room and on the face of this planet, every believer is going to experience temptation. Every believer is going to experience attacks by the enemy on our path to maturity. So friend, if you're not building up your defenses, if you're not building up your defenses against the enemy, if you're not growing your walk with God, you are setting yourself up for defeat. Growing your walk with God is imperative for the believer. You must continue to build. So John has spoken about new believers. And he spoke about maturing believers. But now he speaks to fathers. And he likens fathers to mature believers. In verse 13, he says, I write to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. And notice what he says in verse 14. I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. Same thing, right? It is the Lord's desire that every one of us grow in our walk with him. Every one of us should incline ourselves to reach this level of maturity. Now, the trait that John repeats that fathers have, that mature believers have, is they have known him who is from the beginning. Apparently, fathers, mature believers, have a depth of knowledge about God that little children and young men ain't got. It's an incredible depth of understanding and fellowship with God. Now, where does that knowledge, where does that fellowship with the fathers come from? In a word, it comes from their life experiences. It comes from experience. Think about it. They've lived longer. They survived more battles. They have fought and won more victories. They have failed more times. They've been forgiven of more sin. And all of that provides priceless hindsight. Their experiences help to make them Mature. You see, these fathers, these mature believers, they can look back on, our, on their lives and they can declare with all their heart, God has never failed me, not even once. Not even once. Yeah, I've had hard times, but not one time has God failed me. They can look back on their lives and they can declare that God is good all the time and all the time. Hallelujah. Amen. That is what these folks can proclaim. You see, maturity takes time. Say that with me. Maturity takes time. It does. Mature believers, they've witnessed firsthand, firsthand that God is faithful. They witnessed firsthand that God is worthy of our trust. They've witnessed firsthand that, you know what? God never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and will be forever. And because God will never leave me, because God will never forsake me, there is no reason whatsoever why I shouldn't be growing in my spiritual maturity to some degree or another. But friend, this walk that we have with God, it's not a destination. Our walk with God is a lifelong journey. There is really no point 
in this life where you can say, whoo, I've arrived. In fact, if you think you have arrived, that's probably really good evidence that you haven't. Amen. Why? Because the God you serve is an infinite being. He's an infinite God. Therefore, you can never know everything there is to know about God. Now, some wise person, probably a spiritual father, once said this. God loves you just as you are. But he loves you too much to leave you where you are. In other words, God wants us growing. He wants us pursuing spiritual maturity. We're not to stay idle as believers. We're not to get stagnant as Christians. But regardless of where you are in your walk with God, God wants you to know He wants to walk closer with you it's like God is never satisfied amen and that's a good problem to have he's never satisfied he wants us always to walk closer with him but how can I do that well I want to share with you four quick ways that you can walk closer to God number one pursue him chase after God My favorite biblical word is that word seek. Seek after him with all your heart. Because growing in your walk with God, listen y'all, it ain't natural. And it's also not accidental. You're going to have to be intentional. You're going to have to be deliberate. You're going to have to be determined that you're going to change, that you're going to grow, and that you're going to become more like Jesus to the glory of God. Pursue God. Number two, be patient. See, growing in your walk with God, it's a lifelong process. You've got your whole life to do this. Just keep doing it, right? We will fail many, many times along the way. You'll end up with your face down in the mud, having tripped up in sin. But you can never let failure deter you from what God wants from your life. Pursue God, be patient, but also be persistent. Growing in your walk with God requires a certain amount of vision. It requires that we keep our eyes on the prize. It requires that even after we failed, even after we've lost a battle, we simply will not quit. Enemy, you can keep on coming, but I ain't quitting on God. He's done too much for me. Again and again, I will serve him. So pursue God. Be patient with your walk with God. Be persistent, though. And finally, make your walk with God your number one priority. Growing your walk with God should be your number one priority. Nothing in, listen to me, y'all, nothing in your life 
is more important than your walk with God. That's a pretty bold statement. But if you can think of something that's more important than that, you let me know after the service. It's the most important thing, growing our walk with God. Now, a few weeks ago, I challenged our life group to honestly evaluate their walk with God on a scale from 1 to 10. 1 being they just came to Christ. 10 being they're in heaven. Right? We're, we're somewhere in the middle of that, right? So I, I challenged them. Tell me what your number is. What's your spiritual level of maturity? Where are you at? Where do you stand with God? And I want to encourage you just for a second to ask yourself that question. On a scale from 1 to 10, where am I at? Like most of y'all, I got a lot of fives. Amen. They just walk in the middle of the road. That's okay. But here's what happened next. I asked them, what would it take for you to move to the next level of maturity? If you're a four, what's it going to take to get you to a five? If you're a six, what's it going to take to get you to a seven? And what we found was, when we make maturity a priority in our lives, we start spending more time hearing from God. When we make maturity a priority in our lives, we start spending more time communicating with God. When we make maturity a priority, we, we seek more to try to be like Christ. When we make maturity a priority, we spend more time enjoying victory over sin. Does that interest you? It should. Does that interest the Lord? You better believe it. Friend, today, if you are looking for a walk with God, I want you to know today, you can have it. It's just like a gift. You can have a walk with God today. It's only going to come through faith in Jesus Christ and what he accomplished on the cross. It's only going to come by believing that God raised him from the grave three days later. But you can have it if you want it. If you already have one, but you're looking to grow your walk with God, listen to me, you can have it. You get exactly what you seek. You're going to have to pursue God. You're going to have to be patient with God. You're going to have to be persistent. And you're going to have to make that important decision to make God your number one priority. And if you do that, the promise of Scripture is clear. You will grow. Your walk with God will be closer 
That old song, A Closer Walk With Thee. Look at the lyrics to that song sometime. It's about his word. It's about the communication we enjoy. It's about seeking to be more like Christ. So whatever it is that you're looking for today in your walk with God, most importantly, I want you to know you can have it. And during this decision time, you can come and receive it. I'll show you what the Word says, not what Bill says. I can show you what the Word says about how you can have a walk with God or how you can grow your walk with God. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I thank you that you even want to walk with the likes of us. Father, when I look back on my life, I look at the the sinful ways I've walked in my days, I wonder why do you even want to walk with me? But you want to walk with me, Lord, because you sent your son to shed his blood for me. Therefore, I must be pretty important to you. Father, every single one of us here today can say the same thing. So, Father, if there's one person here that is looking for a walk with God to give them direction and guidance and help and uh, mercy, Father, I pray that you bring them forward during this decision time so that they can begin to enjoy a fellowship with you that's like no other. But, Lord, for the believer, for the Christian, it's up to him or her to determine whether they are stuck as a new believer or if they're still just maturing, or if they're approaching being a mature believer. We need to evaluate where we stand with you. Maybe on a scale of 1 to 10 might help. But Father, I for one don't want to be stuck where I am today. I want to grow. I want to be more like Jesus. I want to walk closer with you. Father, that's a gift for the receiving if we'll just accept it. So, Father, have your will and your way in this decision time, and I pray, Lord, for a supernatural move of God in every one of our lives today. In Jesus' name we ask it, and all God's people said. Amen. Amen.